Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence among us this morning. You don't leave us alone, but you minister to us and you speak to us through many vehicles. Lord, I pray that at this moment, at this time of our gathering, of our time of worship, that everyone under the sound of my voice would at this point be able to see and to hear like we've never seen and heard before. I pray that you would speak to each one of us by the voice of your Holy Spirit and make every word real to each one of us today and help me to say what you want me to say. More than anything, let the word of God come alive. I pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. Amen. We are going to begin what I think is going to be a short series. (laughs) Jim Newsom always ribs me about the time that I gave him. He asked, sometimes he likes to get series of teachings and I gave him a series of teachings. And in the very first session, I said, this is going to be about three Sundays and it was nine. So he never lets me forget that. Said the guy who speaks for an hour every time he gets up here. That's my friend. I can do that. The prayers of the, I've been with the apostle Paul. I've been thinking about this for some time and just looking at some of the prayers. And of course here, I'm going, man, I got a great idea. Man, this is great. Lord, thank you for showing this to me. We're going to look at the prayers of the apostle Paul. Man, what innovation until I Googled it. There's hundreds of messages out there on the prayers of the Apostle Paul. So, you know, you think if you think you can reinvent the wheel, you, you do, you can't. When, when Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, he was right. We have 27 books in the New Testament. 13 of them were written by the Apostle Paul. 14, if you're in that number, who count the, the book of Hebrews. Even with Northwest Florida math, I can figure out that's over half. And so when we see his prayers in in this series is so that we can examine the prayers of this apostle, recognizing they are part of the inspired word of God. We don't need to miss that. We're going to come back to that. We don't need to miss that his prayers are part of God's inspired word And they were put down on paper and became part of the canon of Scripture. And again, this apostle, who, by the way, is not Jesus, but he is the apostle who gives us, as I said, over half of the New Testament as far as number of books. Peter writes later on that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we look at at the prayers of the Apostle Paul, we're looking at what, what was did not come from Paul's own interpretation, but he spoke and it was written down as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And here we are today, benefit benefic, uh, beneficiaries of his making this a permanent record. Lord, help me. Therefore, 
the prayers for the saints, not just his, but all of them, but we're looking at his, the prayers for the saints are perpetual. Everybody say perpetual. And they apply to all of God's children today, just like they did the day he wrote these prayers down, just like they did when he prayed for the church of Colossae. Because it's, because they are the inspired words of God. And here's what I want you to do. Now hear, hear this if you don't hear anything else. I want you, everybody say me. me. See, not the person next to you. This is not for the person next to you. We're leaving them out. It's just you. I want you and I want me to hear the Apostle Paul praying for you. Hear the Apostle Paul praying for you today. Because he did. Because this was, this was written down. It was part of the permanent record. It still is, is the part of a permanent record. And whether you've got a leather book with some pages in it or you got a device, whatever you have that you, that you study the scripture, it's there for you. And so we're going to get a glimpse of the heart of a pastor, or at least what the heart of a pastor should be, or an apostle for those under his care. The heart. And when he's praying for this church, and the next time we'll probably look at his prayer for the Ephesian church. When he's praying for this church at Colossae, he's not just being academic, but he's expressing his heart. And actually the heart, the heart of him and his company that goes with him. And so if you would uh, turn in your Bibles or your device uh, to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read verses 3 through 14. If you would stand while we read the scripture. And I'm going to read once again from the English Standard Version. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual understand, wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You can be seated. So as to walk in a manner worthy... 
That's the title of today's part of this series. I want you to note that he starts off by saying, we thank God for you when we pray for you. Have you got a problem with someone? (laughs) Pray for them. He said, we thank God for you when we pray for you. Okay, I'll get off of that. He says, you heard the word of truth, which is the gospel, and it is now bearing fruit and increasing. I want to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, the word of the gospel has never ceased increasing. Because we we don't govern whether it increases or not. God's spirit governs the increase and it's increasing today and you and I who have especially those of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ and we've surrendered to his call and we've been regenerated by the power of his Holy Spirit we have our recipients and beneficiaries of the gospel that is increasing and by the way it's increasing in you still it didn't stop the day you were Born again. And so he says, we keep praying for you. We do not cease to pray for you, first of all, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. As the golfer approached the first tee, a hazardous hole with a green surrounded by water, he debated if he should use his new golf ball. Deciding that the hole was too treacherous, he pulled out an old ball. We golfers call that a water ball. And placed it on the tee. Just then he heard a voice from above say loudly, use the new ball. Frightened, he replaced the old ball with the new one, and he approached the tee. Now the voice from above shouted, take a practice swing. With this, the golfer stepped backwards, took a swing. Feeling more confident, he approached the tee. When the voice again rang out, use the old ball. (laughs) The will of God, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. The will of God should be our direction. The heretics that the church of Colossae was dealing with promised their followers new knowledge. Now, which is, by the way, self-serving. How many of you understand that if we're not careful in today's church climate, I didn't say the world, but if we're not careful in today's church climate, we will be susceptible to people bringing us new knowledge. Did you hear me say there was nothing new under the sun? In the, in the eight, in the day of new age, and don't, don't think that new age-ism has not made its way into the church, because it has. And new age-ism, if you excuse me, tells us there's some new knowledge. Now I'm gonna rant just a little bit, cause part of this new knowledge says that this is irrelevant today. This is no longer relevant, and we should not worry about adhering to what this book teaches us. 
Now, I'm not King James only. I'm not going that far. But I want to tell you the Word of God, if it is not our standard, if it is not our measure, then we're, we're uh, abiding by the wrong standard. So I'm trying not to rant, but, I, but anyway. This new knowledge is self-serving. That's what we like about it. It says what we want it to hear, what to say. Paul prays that the Colossians would attain to and be controlled by the fullest and clearest knowledge of God's will. And there's a word there, and I don't, I don't often like to deal with the Greek words because you may get the idea that I'm a Greek scholar. The closest I get to that is I get some food on my collar sometimes. <laughs> or lipstick when my wife gets real close. Now, where was I? <laughs> the word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, is the word that means knowledge. But when the Greek text, when you see the, the, the prefix epi, E-P-I, it makes it a more intense form. So you can see up there that epinosis is the knowledge that is intensified by intimate participation and inspection. More complete knowledge gained by experience. You really want to know God's will. You can't just read about it. You can't just hear a teaching about it. But you have to embrace it and have experience with God's will. Intimate experience. It means that there must be some intensification of your life towards what God prescribes. I'm trying to get ahead of myself. Jesus prayed, thy will be done. Did y'all recognize that was the son of God? Who no one would have blamed if he had said, father, I know you got a will, but I'm the son and this is what I want. But he didn't pray that. He said, thy will be done. Your will be done. The, the, the new knowledge today teaches that we pray, thy will be changed. When God bolts the door, don't try to get in through the window. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. It's like the guy I heard of that the Lord said, I'm going to send you to Africa. He sold his house, sold his furniture, put it, got everything ready to go. Five years later, he went to Africa. Will of God. Oh, and then, there, then there's Walter Knight told of an old Scottish woman who went from home to home across the countryside selling thread, buttons, and shoestrings. When she came to an unmarked crossroad, she would toss a stick into the air and go in the direction the stick pointed when it landed. One day, however... She was seen tossing the stick up several times. You've done this. Why do you toss the stick more than once, someone asked. Because, she said, it keeps pointing to the left. And I want to take the road on the right. She then dutifully kept throwing the stick into the air until it pointed the way she wanted to go. Thy will be changed. You say, well, does God have a will for me? Are you kidding? Are you breathing? Then he does. You you know, and most people in this room, he's probably not going to send you to live in Africa. 
You could send you to Cambodia. I don't think Allie thought when she was our youth director here that she'd be living in Cambodia today. But she is. But he wants us to to understand and be filled. That's, That's an interesting word. That we would be filled with the knowledge, with the intimate understanding of what God wants for us. What his will is for us. And then he goes on to say that you would be filled with the knowledge of God in all, everybody say all, All. wisdom and understanding. Not just wisdom and understanding, but all wisdom and understanding. In other words, God is not withholding from us. He's given us all he's got. The word understanding, if you were to look that up, it really just simply means that putting everything together. Have you ever been in a situation and and you just kind of put everything together, the pieces fell together? It's kind of like the guy who had a check and he wanted cash, so he went to the bank and they went up to the counter and they said, if you want us to, to cash this check, you're going to have to endorse it, sign it on the back. And he said, I don't sign anything. I said, well, sir, we're sorry. You don't have an account here, but if you'll sign the check, we'll we'll cash the check. I'm not signing anything. I just want you to cash the check. And I said, sir, we can't cash the check for you if you don't endorse it. He said, fine. So he left and went across the street to another bank. Went up to the counter. He said, I want to cash this check. They said, we'll be glad to cash the check for you if you will endorse the check. He said, I'm not signing anything. So the bank teller took him by the hair of the head and Bounced his nose into the counter three or four times. <laughs> Blood everywhere. <clears throat> so he goes back across the street to the other bank. And they said, what are you doing? He said, I just want to let you know those people over there cashed my check. Well, did you endorse the check? Well, yeah, I endorsed the check. Well, why didn't you endorse the check here? They took time to explain it. <laughs> Sometimes you put everything together and you have understanding. The errors, the Colossae in pulpit commentary says, errors invading Colossae were of a Gnostic type, mystic at once, and rationalistic. When I read that, I thought, that's 2019. We're dealing with a thought process that is mystic or new age. And rationalistic. We have to be able to rationalize everything. Or we won't accept it. Understanding is by God's Holy Spirit putting it all together. By the way, this is what Paul prays for you. He's praying for, he prayed for you to be filled with the, all the knowledge of God in wisdom and understanding. Wisdom putting it together. Wisdom, or understanding's putting it together. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. Doesn't do you any good to have knowledge if you don't have the ability to know how to apply it. Theodore Levitt of the Harvard Business, Business School said, experience comes from what we have done and wisdom comes from what we have done badly. You can go ahead and say, oh me, because we've all learned it that way. And or Doug Larson, a columnist with the Green Bay newspaper, said wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to talk. Wisdom. 
He said, I pray that you have the will of God with all wisdom and understanding. In other words, that we would be able to put together or grasp hold of the truths of the kingdom of God and be able to apply them to everyday episodes of life. Everyday episodes of life. God desires for you through the prayers of the Apostle Paul that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding so that you can get through and handle the episodes of life that life brings you. How many of you understand life happens? I know there's another bumper sticker, but I'm not going to quote that one. I like the one that says life happens. And whether we like it or not, life happens. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle that challenge? If not, God answering the prayers of the Apostle Paul in our lives. And then he says, I'm praying this so, so as, so you can walk, so as to walk in a manner worthy, so as you can walk fully pleasing Him. There's no greater, there's no greater fulfillment than knowing we're pleasing God. There used to be an old gospel song sung by Naomi and the Seagull brothers called, Is My Lord Truly Satisfied With Me? And we need to ask that question. And I'm not asking, are we going to go to heaven? I mean, my goodness, I think we took care of that when we said yes to Jesus. What are we doing here? Are we are we able or is God able to use us to bring heaven to here? That's the key, not whether we're getting to heaven. As Bob Mumford says, when we die as a Christian, we don't have anywhere else we can go. we got to go to heaven. But what's going on now? Am I pleasing to him? Is he truly satisfied with me now? Is his kingdom coming on the earth now through me? Or am I just getting in the way? To be pleasing to God is really just a word that means to be agreeable, to agree with God. Paul writes to the Second Corinthians, in the end of Second Corinthians letter, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. What is your aim? What are you aiming at? We make it our aim, Paul says, to be pleasing to Him. He goes, he tells the Ephesian church, carefully determine or carefully find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases God. You will never find more fulfillment, peace, and satisfaction in your life when you know that what you're doing is pleasing God. And the flip of that is equally true. You will never be so miserable. When you know that what you're doing and the life you're living and the things you're doing and not doing are not pleasing to the Father. Jesus himself in John 8, 29 said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The Son of God. His aim. He said, my sustenance is to do his will. That's, that's what... That's what sustains me. That's what fulfills me is to do the will of God and to walk in a way that is agreeable with God. And he said in 
Therefore, God's will is that you and I be bearing fruit and increasing. We are to be bearing fruit and increasing. The verse says, increasing in the knowledge of God, but in the, in the Greek it really says to be increasing by means of the knowledge of God. So the more we see God, not just that we gain information about God, it's good to have information about God, but if that's all we have, we don't have much. But the information that we gain about God through epinosis leads to formation. If information doesn't lead to formation, we're just spiritual eggheads. But he said, you and I can't, will increase by means of knowing God more and more. Well, I know who God is. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking People say, you know, you know, you live in Nashville and they say, do you know so and so? You know Garth Brooks? Yeah, shoot, yeah, I know Garth Brooks. <laughs> now he doesn't know me. <laughs> but I know him. I know who he is. Too many people relate to God that way. I'm a, I'm an, a, I'm a, an American. So yes, I'm a Christian. Well, I wish it worked that way. Well, actually I don't. I don't wish it worked that way because God prescribed it the other way. Increasing by means of the knowledge of God. And the more we, the closer we get to God and the more we know about Him, Watch this. The more we're like him. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but there was a study in 1987 uh, to evaluate how couples who have been together for 25 years began to develop similar facial features. Y'all ever notice that? (laughs) Some of these ladies said, oh, my goodness, we got to get a divorce. They took 110 participants, 55 couples, and their photographs were taken in their first year of marriage. The participants were asked what they thought the chances were of looking like their spouses 25 years later. The majority of of the description of the changes that the participants anticipated, I can't even talk today, were mostly facial. Anyway, 25 years later, when the new photos were taken, the results could not be explained by simply comparing the images. They gave them to a panel of people, and they began to pick out pictures, and a large percentage of them put the mates together based on facial features. How many of us, when they look at us, they can pair us up with God based on our image of him? I could stop right now. Yeah, I'm parked there. It's like, and I've quoted this so many times, but my friend in Louisiana, William Curry, said something one time, and it just stuck with me. He said, I looked at God, and I looked at me, and we were nothing alike. And obviously, in that particular case, guess who needs to change? Guess who's going to change? The knowledge of God. Paul prayed for you to have that kind of knowledge of God. Relationship. And then he said, 
in verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power. May you be strengthened with all power. Paul prayed that for you. You know how I know that? It's the inspired word of God. The inspired word of God is applicable to all of us. It's still there. It is, is there for eternity. And it's profitable for instruction and reproof and all the things 2 Timothy 3.16 tell us. The word strengthened there just means that you would be enabled. I've heard people say, I'm not able. I'm not able to do this Christian walk. I'm not able to get over. Yeah, you are. And the reason you are, among other reasons, is that the Holy Spirit anointed the Apostle Paul to write down on a piece of paper that he prayed for you to be strengthened with all power. To be able. Again, I, I don't like doing this with the Greek, but it was such a funny thing. The, the, it says to be strengthened with all power. Go ahead and put that up, William. Dunamu with all dunamis. Sound like a joke, doesn't it? Sound like a sick cow. Uh, obviously, those are two words that carry a power connotation, but dunamu means to be enabled. And obviously, we're very familiar with the word dunamus, which is ability. After you will be endued with dunamis from on high after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he says that you would be strengthened with God's ability, enabled by God with all the force and power of heaven. Now let's read that together. Ready? Enabled by God with all the force and power of heaven. Don't tell me you can't do it because you have been prayed for that you would have, that you would be enabled by God with all the power, all the force and all the authority of heaven. It's yours. Then he, then he gave us the measuring stick. He says, according to God's might, according to God's glorious might. There's the measuring stick. There's the reservoir this is coming out of. I don't think anybody in this room would suspect that God's glorious might has a shortage. According to God's well supply of power and the might the word there, dunamis, is, is a power shown in a reigning authority. Not reigning like we've had outside, but reigning like a king. That kind of authority. It's, it's God's kingdom authority and his dominion and his majesty. We got that kind of might. That kind of glorious might. And in, in the process, he prays that it would produce patience and endurance in our lives. Patience, conquering patience, patience that will cause us to conquer the circumstances, not always to escape the circumstances. David didn't write, yea, I walked around the valley of the shadow of death. He walked through it. There are trials, there are times when God causes us to walk around things, but I'm going to tell you that most of the time, and every one of us can witness to this, God has us walk through the storm. And, and sometimes we find ourselves in the storm, but thank God the storm doesn't have to be in us. 
We can, we can go, we can have conquering patience. We can have the ability to deal triumphantly with anything that life can bring our way. You can. Patience. Then he said endurance, which is just a word that is for long suffering. The word is long tempered. Someone has said it really means patience with people. Now we're getting to meddling. <laughs> patience with people. Frederick the Great said, the more I get to know people, the more I like my dog. (laughs) Paul prays for us, for the fortitude which no situation can defeat and the patience which no person can defeat, that we can get through. You can. You can do it. As the Cajun said in the movie, you can do it. And here's the here's an interesting thing. He says, I pray that all of this, but I pray that you have patience and you have endurance with joy. Amen. We think when we go through trials or when we having to endure things or having to learn patience, that's the time we put on the frown face and we're grouchy and we're short-tempered. And that's okay because I'm going through stuff. Paul prays that you can go through stuff with joy. That the joy within you that is not governed by your circumstances is there and it comes out of you. William Barclay said it this way. The Christian prayer is, make me, O Lord, victorious over every circumstance. Make me patient with every person. And with all, give me the joy which no circumstance and no man will ever take from me with joy. And then don't miss this part. He says giving thanks. How many of us understand giving thanks is prayer? If we don't give thanks in our prayer, we're not really praying. Remember he started out, we thank God for you when we pray for you. I'm going to just rush through this because I've written about it several times, these things, and I've preached on them. But anyway, he gives thanks that we're qualified, that God has made us qualified. And you know this quote, God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. Doesn't wait till you're ready. Qualified is just a word that means that we're sufficient or we're competent. God makes us sufficient for him. Well, I don't know if I can do that. You're right. You can't. But God makes you sufficient. To equip one with the adequate power to perform the duties that God wants you to do. That makes us qualified. He said you've been delivered or rescued. Galatians 1.4 teaches us that God himself rescued us. He didn't send someone else. He came and did it himself. He rescued us because we cannot rescue ourselves. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. From the domain. The kingdom of darkness. And then he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. You gained a transfer. From the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God in the kingdom of Lord Jesus Christ. Because God did. You couldn't do that. You cannot say, okay, I'm going to wiggle my nose or whatever. And I'm going to transfer to the kingdom of God. You can't do it. You can strain, you can read the Bible till you're blue in the face. 
Till you're, you're spouting out platitudes and everyone's impressed. But until God, by the power of regeneration, moves you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son, you're not moving. Read the Bible. I'm not telling you don't read the Bible, but it's not just reading the Bible that's going to do it. It's, it's relating to the God, the author of the Bible. Back to William Barclay. In the ancient world, when one empire won a victory over another, it was the custom to take the population of that defeated country and transfer it lock, stock, and barrel to the conqueror's land. So Paul says that God has transferred the Christian into his own kingdom. Not only a transference, but a rescue. He's thanking God that, that this happened to you. But it hasn't happened to you. It certainly can. Then he says, we're also redeemed. We have redemption. Re- redemption is just the buying back of something or someone in the power of someone else. And Jesus came along and we were in the cosmic pawn shop of life. Jesus came along and he had the correct ticket. And he went to the door of the pawn shop. And he said, I'm going to take this one right here. And the devil had no choice but to surrender the item from his pawn shop. Y'all think I'm done? My phone does. Then he said, we have, we've not only been redeemed, but we have forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, is right. The forgiveness of sins, which, by the way, is more than just wiping the slate clean. It's not that God took out his heavenly eraser and went over to his blackboard with our sins written on it and started erasing the sins. He didn't do that. That would not have, that would not have satisfied God's justice. But God himself, in the form of the Son, came to earth and paid the penalty that we owed for those sins. He paid the penalty. Years ago, I used to sing a song written by Gordon Jensen called, I Should Have Been Crucified. Because I'm the one that owed the penalty, but Jesus came along and he paid the penalty. They never were erased. The old count was settled long ago. Here I'm quoting old songs today. I must be feeling nostalgic. I don't know. But the the account was settled because Jesus paid the debt. And then 2 Corinthians 5 teaches me that he who knew no sin became sin. He didn't just take our sins. He became sin so that you and me, because of the prayer of the Apostle Paul, could become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Now, whether you like it or not, or whether you feel like it or not, or whether you behave like it or not, you are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did, we were released from the bondage of sin. The old song says, would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Would you over evil a victory win? Because there's power in the blood. The power in the blood of Jesus Christ gave us that victory. 
gives us that victory. The power in the blood of Jesus Christ relieves us from the burden of our sin. Not just our sins, but our sin. How do you spell relief? B-L-O-O-D. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thanking God this all happened to us. R.C. Lucas said, forgiveness flows from the cross where Christ not only canceled our debt, but also disarmed our enemy and gave us victory. Don't you like being prayed for by the Apostle Paul? You have the ability, you have the anointing, you have the power, you have the wisdom, you have the understanding that you're accessible to you, in other words. So, my prayer, by the way, this is something else here. Not only are we learning his prayers for us, but we're learning how to pray for other people. So, you know, sometimes there's a young man in Louisiana that sometimes will text us and say, well, how can I pray for you? And sometimes I, I, you know, say, well, pray for I'll straighten up or something. I don't know. But somebody said, how can I pray for you? Well, I tell you what, how would you pray for me to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? How about that? You say, well, I don't know how to pray God's will. Well, I tell you what, we got a whole book right here. Just pray what's in here. That's God's will right there. Is, 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 is it God's will for me to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom? Yeah, because it's right there. It teaches us how to pray. How are you going to pray for somebody? Well, if you don't know how to pray for them, just get the, get these, these uh, verses out of here and pray for that for somebody else. So I pray. You pray. We all pray. All God's children pray. That's anyways. That we'd be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom and understanding. And that we would be strengthened with all power. We would be enabled with all power. And that we would give thanks for our qualification, for our rescue, for our transfer, for our redemption, and the forgiveness of our sins. Would you accept that prayer? Stand with me.